Welcome back to One to Watch here on Get Football Plus, where we aim to take a look at some of the most exciting upcoming prospects in football. I'm Alfred, and I'm joined by the usual suspect, Kish, who is back from the sick and hopefully feeling better. How are you doing, mate? Yeah, finally all, all recovered, I think. Um, had a good Christmas, so I'm, I'm ready to get, get back to it. How are you, bro? Yeah, I'm doing doing well as, as well. Uh, well rested during the the holiday period, and and excited to get back into it. Uh, today, we're also joined by a very special guest in the form of Nathan Joyce, who is the founder of the Copper Club. So it's a pleasure to have you here, Nathan. How are you doing? Yeah, I'm good. Thanks for having me on, guys. I know it's been a long time coming, um, but the January transfer window is almost the perfect time to have this conversation. Yeah, exactly. I think we're going to have the chance to get into some uh, crunchy and exciting players who some have been uh, rumored to be on the move this winter. So very excited for that. Uh, I do want to start off by wishing everyone a happy new year um, and hoping that 2024 will be a year of prosperity, success, and of course, wishing everyone good health, which is, I think, the most important in my eyes. Uh, Nathan, if if I'm not mistaken... Uh, you had a decent year of 2023, uh, quitting your full-time job to go freelance and foc- f- um, fully focusing on the Cobb Club project. Can you talk us through maybe your thought process going into making that decision? Yeah, um, I will be honest, going into freelance, it has its ups and downs. I think if you look across social media or LinkedIn, everything's always a bed of roses, isn't it? And there's been some... Uh, Hard times along the way, but look, I wouldn't regret it at all. So, yeah, I was, um, I've been in sports media for about 10 years now, worked my way up to editor role, but wasn't really getting my kicks with it anymore. And I, I was finding myself more and more involved with South American football. And that's where my Twitter audience was sort of heading. And oh, look, for my sins, I'm a Nottingham Forest fan. And last January transfer window, they started signing Gustavo Scarpa and Danilo. And I just started writing articles about them and, and voice my opinion because I've been watching them for the last couple of years almost as an escape because up until of late Nottingham Forest haven't been the best of teams and that's how I sort of fell into watching South American football and I worked a lot of night shifts and that was seemed to be the only thing on people used to watch reruns of old TV shows and for some reason I threw myself into the depths of Bolivia and, and stuff like that and I just then it led me to the Libertadores and it all sort of snowballed from there so yeah, back in January, I had an idea to do a Libertadores team guide just for fun, to be honest with you. Put it out there and like it, it went crazy. People loved it. And that ended up being issue one of the Copper Club, which got its formal name in April, where we launched the website. And then issue two and three are followed. Issue four, I actually started it today. So that's in the works as well. And with the podcast launching in the summer all around South American football and players, it's uh yeah, it's been a whirlwind 12 months and uh, a lot's happened and my, my profile fortunately has has risen and people, for some reason, I still find it a bit mad to come to me to talk about South American football. It's always a pleasure and yeah, hopefully 2024 is uh, similar growth as well. Yeah, I, I remember yeah. seeing when um, uh, Danilo joined uh, Not For Us back in last winter. Uh, I had him down as one of my top transfers um, for the the winter window. I remember he was having some uh, brilliant seasons over in Brazil, uh, winning the the cup, I believe, two two times in a row, something like that. Yeah, um, yeah, back to back, yeah. Lives Yeah, and since then he he he's had a a decent integration to English football, I guess. 
Um, so, so is is that the moment you kind of began following um, like South American football in general um, through those few Brazilian transfers that came through at, at Not Forest, or was were you already interested in that beforehand? I was already very interested in it. I used to work when I first came out of uni. I used to work for a bookmaker, and like my shifts were at night covering all sorts of stuff really just a bit of site management like just getting your foot in the door with sports media I guess and had to do those so-called donkey shifts and yeah that's when I started watching uh, Argentinian football Brazilian football and all sorts really whatever was on I just grew some sort of for some reason I was fascinated with it and then that's why it all sort of fell inside the Libertadores and then that's when my world sort of opened up to the likes of Palmeiras and like Danilo and Gustavo Scarpa, I watched him for years and the fact that he came to Nottingham Forest, like it was really odd to see two worlds colliding and for some reason Nottingham Forest have been the most active in the South American market over the last 12 months in the Premier League and it just so happens to be that I'm a fan of them so I always try to stay impartial with it but when um, Danilo signed I was I just couldn't believe that this was actually happening to Nottingham Forest and then the likes of Mario who have followed and Andre Santos, I know it didn't work out for specific reasons, but even the fact that these young Brazilians are coming across and playing at little old Nottingham Forest at the time was uh, was amazing to see, to be honest. So uh, it would be nice for other teams to branch out. Obviously, we'll probably get into talk about Brian at some point on this podcast, um, but it would be nice to see other teams step into that market away from just Nottingham Forest, to be honest with you. Yeah, I was going to ask um, what your thoughts on sort of, I think there's been a lot of discussion recently around the, the key differences between South American football and European football, um, I think especially focusing on sort of the difference between relationism and, and positional play. Um, and do you think that has any impact on kind of sometimes why South American players might struggle to settle in European football straight away? Yeah, 100%. Anytime I speak about South American players coming across to Europe, the first thing I always point out is like, they're normally they're getting, they're going across younger and younger, right? These are young lads who are having to learn a new language, like even the weather, right? The conditions, day-to-day life away from that 90 minutes on the pitch is so different. And that's 99% of their life on the pitch. It's just the 1% angle, isn't it? And yeah, 100%, like there's, there's so many players who you think, uh, or I, I try to always um, be as honest as I pos- as possible I can like when players come across like you can see with certain players who you know will make the step up and then others you're unsure about but it all goes on those factors off the pitch for me as to like what happens on it like can they adapt is there a nice surrounding in terms of like I will I will talk about other teams apart from Nottingham Forest later on I promise but they built a nice contingency didn't they of like five six seven players who could speak Portuguese and they were building that nice uh, they had like an African South American environment, and last year, like that, like ultimately kept them up in the division. And we're seeing it. I think if there's nice bonds where one player goes to a certain club and they feel a little bit on their own and and, and struggling, and and like the club doesn't go above and beyond to make them feel welcome, that's when we sometimes see them struggle on the pitch. Like for example, with Danilo, Steve Cooper, the manager at the time, actually um, put cue cards on everyone's benches of like Portuguese phrases. So in the first couple of weeks, the players would speak to him in Portuguese for like pass, shoot, turn, stuff like that to make him feel welcome. And I'm not saying every club should probably look at doing that, to be honest with you, in terms of making them feel at home. And then on the pitch, it's going to be a completely different story. I'm I'm not sure if we're going to talk about 
Andre, for example, later on in the podcast at all. But I'll, I'll bring him up now in terms of look, Denise Ball at Fl- Fluminense. It's so uh, radical idea, like the fluidity of it. And Andre, I think he's massively deserving of an opportunity in Europe. But it's going to take him time to settle because he's gone from this positionless play and him being able to take the ball from the goalkeeper and do what he wants. Now, teams in the Premier League won't want that. And it's all about moulding them again. But the fact that these players are coming younger and younger gives managers the opportunity to mould them into what they want on the pitch. But it's how they settle away from it. And I don't think enough people realise that. Like These are young 17, 18, 19 year old lads coming across. And it's difficult for them. Um, but the more which come across and actually succeed on the pitch uh, is amazing to see. And like I think a couple stand out, like Mario, for example, um, at Corinthians was way above his age group in terms of his ability. And we saw that all the way from his under-20s days. And I did, I thought he was going to get integrated slowly at Nottingham Forest, but he's come across and absolutely bossed it. And a lot of people were talking about him moving across to a Champions League team as of next season already. And, and look at that step from 27 appearances with Corinthians and 18, 24 months later, he could be in the Champions League. So um, it all depends, really. It can be a look of the draw, but off the pitch, I think, is such a big influence, which no one really talks about. Do you yeah, think that's I what, think... Um, I was going to quickly just add, do you think that's what um, attracted you to South American football? Sort of, I think there's been a lot of criticism at times of modern European football and how it's kind of so system-based, so so regimented at times. Um, do you think that's what attracted you to kind of lock into South American football and, and see something a bit different? Oh, 100%. When I first started watching Bolivian football, I couldn't believe how chaotic it was. And to this day, it hasn't changed from when I started watching it about eight or nine years ago. But I just like the raw authenticity of it all in terms of like with the Premier League, with the amount of money behind it, you know, it's like three leagues within one within the Premier League, the top four, top five, top six to an extent. We're seeing with Forest and Everton and financial fair play and keeping teams pigeonholed in certain areas. I I just got a little bit fed up of how that is, to be honest. And like Brazilian Argentinian football, especially Argentinian football at the moment, it's in a bit of a financial crisis, but like you see the fans and how passionate it all is. And it's just raw football and the players want to be there for the team because, well, either they come up through the academies or they see an opportunity to move across to Europe and they put their heart and soul into these matches where with the Premier League, sometimes we don't necessarily see that or in Europe because clubs are, or players rather are looking to agents for moves and a lot of more media attention and obviously far more, a lot more money going to these young lads' pockets, right? And then obviously that can lead completely different ways. Mario Balotelli, for example, stuff like that. So I think I was drawn away to because it, it drawn to it, sorry, because it was just more raw. It was football at, at, at its purest, and yeah, maybe the quality isn't there all the time. But I do generally think South American football over the last couple of years has, in particular, Brazil picked back up again. Yeah, I, I'm personally not. I can't say I'm a, I'm a big consumer of South American football, though I I would want to be more um, to 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 watch more South American football in the future. But for I mean instance, that Brazilian title race last season was phenomenal, and, and like it got to the point where all the big Twitter accounts were just tweeting the league, and like actually people were caring about it because five six teams could still realistically win it with with three weeks to go, and it was getting to the point where I was running out of screens. I didn't know what games to put on and what meant what by the end of it, and I absolutely loved that. You would never get that 
um, over here, for for example, in the Premier League, like the media outlets try to make out that there's three or four away title race with Aston Villa, but we know like teams like that will drop off. Where obviously in Brazil, it's it's not that way. And we saw with Botafogo almost do like a Leicester City, so to speak, last season, which would have been incredible. So I think that's what I like, to be honest with you. And then alongside that, you're discovering gems or these players like Marcus Leonardo who's gone to Benfica for example absolutely boss it for Santos and it's just really interesting to see and I think the more you watch it you get an eye for these players who probably can make it in Europe and then those who are just going to remain in Brazil but still play at a good level and a good standard so I think that's the best of both worlds to be honest. And the the Brazilian league is one of the leagues which sees like the biggest turnover in teams right like there's a lot of top, top Brazilian clubs who often end up going down to the second division for a season or two. I think it was Grêmio this season, or I'm probably mistaken with another club, right? Yeah, no, Grêmio, well, not this season. Grêmio went down and then came back up and this season finished. Like, I think it was third, fourth, got back into yeah. the Libertadores. Santos were relegated for the first time in their history. Like, I actually wrote about it in issue three of the Copper Club magazine and because I think so many people were surprised to be like, Santos, how have they gone down? They're, they're such a huge club. Like, Santos going down seems like unthinkable because that's like, you know, Pele, Neymar, kind of those, those sorts of names are yeah. the ones who are known by everyone, not even football fans. And I guess the club that, that made those two, you would never expect to to be relegated. And so I think that competitiveness is just something that we don't really see in Europe um, as much. Um, and I wonder, I wonder why, why, what makes it so competitive? Is it the, the reliance on academies and the fact that there are so many good academies? So that creates sort of so many different good teams or, or, what, or is it like financial restrictions on, on teams and, and stuff like that? I think it's a both plus a hell of a lot more. There's so much which goes into it. For example, with Santos, like they have such a demanding fan base. And since Neymar's departure, whenever that was, don't quote me off the top of my head, but say like 2012 or something, whenever he went to Barcelona, they've had like six presidents come in since and they've just thrown money at the project because they've been trying to discover a new Neymar and the fan base have demanded that they've replaced him I mean how does a club like Santos replace Neymar so they've just continuously thrown money at it for years to the point where they had no money left they had to sell like their best assets David Washington Angelo on the cheap to Chelsea when realistically they could probably got double for them but they had no choice and they kept hold of Marcus Leonardo in hope that he could like keep them up. And even though he outscored Vitoroke, he like he still couldn't keep them up on the last day. And there was just so much turmoil behind. And it's it's crazy when you actually dive into it in the stories. Like, for example, they had one manager who refused to wear a match day polo with one of the brands on. So the brand dropped out and like the sponsorship deal for like a, a plastic waste company, but they pumped a lot of money into Santos. And because this one particular manager, I can't remember his name, so there's so many managers which have been sacked this year from them. I think they finished with five. Um, Aguirre, I think it was, he refused to wear the polo. So the sponsorship deal walked out on their deal because Santos broke it. And then that manager got sacked within like 28 days. So he was a reason for them losing a couple of millions of pounds, which is huge in Brazil. And then he got sacked and he got put on a long-term deal anyway. So... I read something by the time Santos were on their fourth manager this season, they were still paying off a manager, which was the first one sacked. So 
in Brazil, this is like I think there's only four managers who remain by the end of the season who started it in 2023, which is just mad in itself. But they all seem to get put on long contracts and they've got to be paid somehow, right? So I think it's just all sorts of fiddly little things like that. And one other thing to point out is four teams get relegated. Like it's quite a big chunk, really, mostly when it's 20 team leagues, whatever it's three, but four go down. Yet three places above, you can qualify for the Sudamericana. So like it's, it's only like two or three yeah, teams who actually miss out on anything. So it's actually harder to miss out on anything like relegation, Sudamericana, Libertadores, whatever, than it's it is. The, so it's it's just a crazy yeah. league. Uh, and I hope it never changes because from a neutral point of view, I absolutely love it. Yeah, it's, it's just exciting, right? It's just pure, pure excitement, pure entertainment. Kind of summed up by Denise's way of playing football, which kind of represents... Brazilian football in general, I guess, just the instability um, of being able, of being three spots from going down or playing the the Copa, right? Um, I remember watching last last season's uh, final and just asking myself because, as, as I said, I don't I don't watch that much uh, South American football. I just asking myself, what's going on? Why is this guy got in a fight with with this? other player who wasn't even involved in the first place and gone a, a red for no apparent reason or just running off to the to the fans and getting a red for that is just oh yeah there's, there's absolutely no logic behind south american football but i think that's what makes like the beauty of it and and while you've touched on denise i think it's really important to put across to a european audience because yes he won the libertadores but that was his first ever title and he absolutely botched the job with Brazil national team. I, I feel like he was sort of stitched up there a little bit because he's trying to change every, like the Brazilians in the Brazilian team or European based. And he's trying to go, right, forget everything you know about football within six days. And I want you to play artists against Venezuela. And then he wondered why it didn't work. But he almost got sacked last season. And I know we've just spoke about managers lose two or three games and then they lose their job. But when he, when he got the Brazilian job, the next home game for Fluminense, his name got uh, announced on the Tannoy and he actually got booed because like there'd been a few games without a win. Fluminense's away record was shocking last season. I think it was like third or fourth worst. Like Denise Ball works in a home environment where other teams like suffer or feel a little bit dominated, but on someone else's turf, they were terrible. So the Libertadores, fair play. Like if he didn't have won that, I think he's he would have already gone to be honest. And I think he has a good chance of going in the next two or three months, especially if key players do move on from that Fluminense side. But I think this, it, I understand this fascination with Denise Ball. And trust me, like I really do enjoy it. But there's so many negatives to it as well, which we don't speak about. And I think a lot of uh, UK outlets uh, and, and the media want to jump on the bandwagon to be like, oh, we know about this edgy manager and this play. And it is brave football. But they finished at eighth, ninth in the table. And like I said, that away record was shocking. So... Uh, long term, if you brought Denise Ball to Europe, uh, I think he'd be sacked within about thirty days. To be honest with you, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I guess, and, like, I guess it's it's very off the cuff. Um, it's very reliant on player relationships on the pitch, not like mm-hmm. socially, but kind of in football terms. Um, and that sort of thing is is very hard to prepare and prepare like a team um, and control a team. I guess that's the sort of the desire to 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 play in a positional way is is more so to to control what happens and have more control over a game. So I think, yeah, you can see you can see it probably going very well at times, and then and then doing the complete opposite at other times where the chaos doesn't really work. Um, 
I guess, yeah, I think just just to touch on my kind of journey with South American football, I think I've always loved South American players and 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 been brought up on on South American footballers. Um and obviously recently have been started to make a lot of videos on these on these South American footballers. Um and then very good as of, well, by the way. I will drop that in. Very good videos. Um and in the process of kind of scouting these these young talents from South America, I, I obviously got a taste of what South American football is like. And I think some of the kind of decisions are, are, are crazy and also like magical. So it's a very I think it's an old school kind of football in, in a sense where back in the day we'd see these kind of maverick players who did what they want, would score screamers at times, but also maybe try and take on one too many player at times. And, and that's the kind of football I fell in love with. So I think South American football is, is kind of carrying that mantle um, where European football might be lacking at the moment. Yeah, and as you had touched on Andre, um, moving from Fluminense and being one of the most sought-after midfielders from from Brazil, um, as you said, Kish, kind of pointing out that some of these players, um, part of their charm and their excitement is the fact that they're um, error-prone as well, or perhaps not always the best decision-making, but do like feel the game um, and play with with passion, I guess. And and in that sense, I think a player like Andre moving from the I guess the most extreme form of like f- footballing freedom, I guess, um, and, and moving to Europe and the constricted ways of some managers uh, where you're used to seeing always the same teams at the top and playing the, the competitions and uh, very specific um, instructions and, and roles, I guess, are expected from players. Um, I guess you kind of expect them to struggle a lot, as, as you mentioned, Nathan. And I think that's probably one of the main reasons why a lot of South American footballers don't manage to to live up to the expectations when they when they move to Europe. Uh, I think I think another problem uh, is probably that I think South American players in general, not to not to not to be too um, generalizing, I guess, but a lot of them come from like poor backgrounds or difficult situations, and making that transition as a footballer as a start is quite difficult, right? And when you add to that changing cultures and countries and languages and even in Europe, a lot of the time, the, the money they're making is not even comparable to what they were making in, in South America. All these changes together just like goes to your head at some point. And um, I guess football doesn't become the, the number one priority a, a anymore, right? Yeah, for sure. I, I completely get that. And there's a, a definitely a player who we'll speak about later who falls into that category. Um, but yeah, going back to what you said there about like the position play and stuff like that, especially with someone like Andre, like the fact that they won the Libertadores, Fluminense have upped their price to 25, 30 million euros now. And, and I feel like that's potentially priced some teams out. And we do see more South Americans move towards the end of the window purely because, like, it's the end of the season. They deserve their break. Um, and we, But we still haven't heard anything to do with Andre. We've had links with Liverpool and Fulham and stuff like that. But there's been nothing concrete there. And 
maybe because of like the fin- financial fair play rules, which I've spoke about earlier, and Fluminense up in that price, which do you know what they can deservedly do? They're getting a little bit of stick for that for holding out for a price, but how dare they charge thirty million euros for Brazil's yeah. next? best number six in my opinion Bargain. or Casemiro's replacement in Europe you wouldn't bat an eyelid and you'd say what a steal it is um, yeah. but there's still that old school mentality from European fans in terms of oh well how, how will they cope is it's a, it's a big gamble and you, you only have to watch five ten games of Andre and you'll fall in love with him for his sort of style of play so I think there's a lot of naivety I get asked the questions all the time around uh, are they physical enough and would they be able to cope with the demands of the Premier League and stuff like that. And when people ask me that question, just tune into one week of any South American league you like and that yeah. you'll have your yeah. own question sort of answered. Yeah, even with the recent examples like Joao Gomez or um, Danilo, which we mentioned, like I think they, they're, they're living examples that transition can be very much uh, quick and natural and seamless um also touching back on the the price tag for andre that's that just seems like an extreme bargain when you look at um what psg just paid for lucas Beraldo, uh 20 million euros or around that um apparently as as i, I can i couldn't confirm but apparently he's, he's an interesting prospect but has a lot of um I guess difficulties in some aspects of his game, which would make him um, maybe have a hard time suiting to European football. And in that sense, the fact that PSG paid twenty million for that, and on the other side, you're getting such a—I um, don't want to see complete package because obviously, uh, for such a young player, it can ne- never really be a complete package. But when you're getting that level of player for thirty million, uh, there's no way I wouldn't jump on that if I was. Uh, um, I'd be happy to stick top, my top club. I'd be happy to stick my head on the block and say that Andre is yeah. the complete package. But I, I also think Lucas Baraldo, if it is 20 million, I think that's a, a superb deal as well for someone like PSG. And I think the move to PSG makes a lot of sense because there's been some sort of like the, the questions again with someone like Lucas Baraldo has been his potential weakness and his ability to win the ball back. He's, he's six foot, but I mean, six foot in this day and age for centre back, there are a few questions, but he's like Brighton were linked with him heavily in the summer and He's a really good ball playing left centre back and left footers in, in that role are, are worth the weight in gold. And the way he can pass it out from the back and switch the play for someone like PSG who are going to uh, dominate games domestically, like this might be a perfect opportunity for him to sort of find his feet. And like he's, he's next to Marquinhos, who's sort of a veteran in the game now, so to speak. He's got a Brazilian yep. to, to learn from. Um, and also, they've signed, well, PSG, uh, I don't think it's been announced yet, but PSG are signing Gabriel Moscardo as well. So it almost it, they've moved yeah. away from signing Galacticos and they're actually taking a long-term approach. It's, it's taken a while for PSG to realise that they can't just sign Lionel Messi and win everything. But fair play to them like, for the approach they're now taking in terms of signing young up-and-coming players and they're trying to mould a squad capable of challenging um, and on, on the cheap, really, I think those two combined 45, 50 million euros. Gabriel Moscardo probably could be one of the best centre midfielders in the next 10 years. Lucas Braudo, I think he has got quite a high ceiling. Um, I'm, I'm glad that Forrest took the other best left centre back in Murillo, but both of them are <laughs> going to be challenging for Brazilian spots at some point in their career. Um, so, look, fair play to PSG that we're always quick to slate them, aren't we? And uh, for signing players like Beckham and, and Neymar and stuff like that will make Neymar less, but for like the money or the financial side of it, 
and the route they're now taking by tapping into the South American market. Fair play, and I'll be rooting for PSG to finally win a Champions League if they continue to take this approach because it'll be deserved. Yeah, I was gonna, I was gonna, um, yeah, add to that. I guess it's also, it's also probably more comfortable if they're signing a lot of players of the same age bracket. Um, and I think you have to build a squad in in terms of you need those experienced heads. But if you're gonna if you're gonna build something for the future, then then you need a group of kind of young guys who can grow together. Um, and sort of having a couple people from the same country always helps. And 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 kind of creating those bonds within the squad is is something that people probably undervalue at times. Um, but obviously, is such an important facet of of a player settling in. Um, but yeah, Nathan, I know you've obviously brought a couple specific players you want to you want to touch on today. Um, obviously, as it's a one to watch podcast. Um, so yeah, why don't we get into one of your your first players that we haven't um, that may, many people might not have heard of or or might not know too much about. Look, I, I, I didn't want to be too edgy with my picks and the, the first one definitely isn't, but Valentin Barco, who's obviously just transferred from Boca to Brighton, is uh, obviously one of the most exciting players to come out of Argentina recent years and um, I'm, I'm, I think he's just a match made in heaven, to be honest with you. Like He was linked with Man City, obviously. Chelsea were linked, but Chelsea are linked with absolutely everybody and I don't know what that means anymore. But Brighton seems to be the perfect fit. But I think a lot of people expect him to come in and, and slot in at left-back or, or challenge for that position. And um, I don't really see a future for him there. And I'm, I'm not, compa- not comparing him to Gareth Bale at all. But we saw with Gareth Bale limitations at left-back and then once played further up the pitch, became one of the the best players in the world, right? And Valentin Barco, like halfway through the season, purely because of how poor Boca were and how they got to live to this final. I have no idea, to be honest. Barco was probably responsible for part of that. But he was pushed up into like the left centre mid-roll against Nacional. And you could have just made like a 10-minute highlight reel purely on that game, to be honest with you. And like he just took that position and has blossomed with it ever since. The confidence he shows, the one-two intricate passing he has, the ability to just look for the cheeky nutmeg, uh, travel with the ball. But his vision is unbelievable. Sometimes he, he just spots these passes, which no one else will. And like unfortunately, like his assist tally isn't that great because the strikers in front of him at Boca haven't been able to read the situation he's been playing. Um but no, we jumped on, on on my podcast last week and we raised a good point in terms of like De Zerbi. He plays like a positionless sort of style with two or three players in, in behind Jao Pedro, who who runs all across that line. So I think Barco will have a field day when he comes in and like, hopefully that assist tally can finally be risen up from a couple which he's got at Boca. But there's talks of him going out on loan and we saw Mitoma do that and he moved to Belgium to sort of uh, toughen up, so to speak. I'd be surprised if Boca, um, Brighton loan Barco out straight away. I feel like he could just slot in and there's a couple of injuries there with Brighton and I think Brighton are like sixth, seventh in the table or like hunting down, uh, dare I say it, a potential Champions League spot if they continue that momentum. So um, yeah, Barco is just a really exciting talent and I just think he'd be so wasted at left back and there are some concerns about his defensive duty. I think he got a bit carried away at times at Boca, but I think that was maybe out of frustration at times because his team weren't progressing up the pitch. And yes, they got to the final of the Libertadores without winning a game, but normally Boca would have put 10 men behind the ball in like that semi-final against Palmeiras. But teams were wary of Barco and, and like his ability to break on and like start something or try and release Cavani. And because of that, that's why Boca ended up 
getting to the final deserved or not it was his influence and like for a 19 year old just to suddenly start playing in midfield halfway through the season in a role that he's never really played he's been at the academy since he was like 10 or whatever I and mean, always played left back for someone fair play Jorge Almiron terrible manager but he made the right decision to move him into midfield and he's almost earned him that move to to Brighton so yeah people have been hearing about him left right and center at the moment but um I couldn't not mention him as one of my one of my three to discuss yeah I was going to touch on that actually the the Cavani um link up I guess because you said he was kind of missing someone to to play those balls too though he had one of the I guess best strikers for the in the past like 10 15 years was was Cavani like kind of out, out of his game at that point yeah he wasn't really getting played at Valencia when he decided to make the move across to Boca and uh, Boca didn't really have anyone else really in that role and he was almost thrown in and on his debut like Cavani was awful to be honest he missed so many chances because he was just rusty um so he was sort of thrown in the tail end of the season without really having any sort of game time so I think we'll get I think we'll get one more year out of Cavani before he suddenly calls it a day but yeah he wasn't at his best last season but what a career he's had so with yeah, Barco, yeah, I was gonna sort of compare him to a player currently in the Premier League um whose stock's pretty low right now but is obviously a, an amazing player is um, Zinchenko and I think the way that Zinchenko plays for Arsenal in kind of a left-back role, but it's obviously much more than that. And him inverting um, to help him build up and, and, and kind of breaking lines from midfield. Um, and he's one of those players who's so smart, sort of knows what he's going to do before he gets it, can play in tight areas, um, and also has that quite frail kind of build. Um, what, what, what do you think of those kind of comparisons? Yeah, I, I get where you're coming from. I, I think Barco probably has that little bit more pizzazz going forward, to be honest with you, in terms of I think Zinchenko is maybe a little bit more limited in that final third. But I, I agree with maybe the build. People look at Barco and say, oh, well, you'll probably go on a gym plan fit for the Premier League. But he is tough. He is aggressive. He doesn't mind throwing himself in and, and getting involved. But I just think he has that technical quality in that final third. And I feel like he'll be so wasted if he's slotted in at left back. But look, Brighton do play with that inverted left back at times. So he could obviously then go on his little mazy runs inside the middle. I'll just be a little bit wary about in behind if he gets caught out a few times and what people will start to say about him. Because obviously we can judge players very quickly in the Premier League and it can be a cruel league if you do make a mistake or two. So uh, yeah, letting him develop in that left centre midfield role would be the ideal solution if I was a manager. But obviously I am not. No, not yet, not yet. Not yet. But, uh, <laughs> obviously, yeah, also to your, to your next next player, I guess. Yeah, I just want I just want to touch on that. Um, yeah, as we were saying earlier, um, like having a lot of players from the same area or nationality is is quite important in team building, and obviously, Brighton have a lot of uh, South American players coming in, coming through like uh, Buenanote, um, Enciso, uh, Stupinian, etc. So I, I think um, if they keep building from that, uh, they could definitely have a very solid like South American core um, progressing with the year. So very, very interesting in that sense. Yeah, but yeah 100%. Definitely move on to your next player. Yeah, maybe a player people haven't heard of, but 
before we jumped on the podcast, I was saying that I've been writing about him all week, so it feels only right to talk about him. But Flamengo's Victor Hugo, um, I'm a huge fan of his, and he's almost been in a similar situation to Franco, who Mateus Franco, sorry, who's moved across to Crystal Palace in the sense that um, Hugo was part of the team who won the Libertadores under Doraval Junior, and then since then there's been three managers, so there's been four different leaderships, so to speak, at Flamengo. And certain managers have fancied Hugo, others haven't. Doraval Jr. spoke um, highly of him throughout the time he was manager before Flamengo decided to move away from him for whatever reason and turn to Vitor Pereira, who was just an absolute car crash, who didn't like him. Uh, but then Jorge Sampaoli came in and a very Marmite manager who a lot of people don't like, but he trusted Victor Hugo and he came in and scored a key winning goal in the Libertadores group stage against Racing and then showed like his winning runs against Orcas to score fourth in that game. And it's just a, a perfect combination of a six and an eight as well. And it was really interesting when I was digging out my research, he actually started out as a left back at Vasco da Gama before Flamengo started playing him in their youth team where he carried on playing as a left back. And then because of his size, I think he was quite he is tall, but for his age group, I think he, he was already there. And like Brazilian youth teams started playing him as well. But Doraval Jr. Uh, was massively um, complimentary of his ability. And if you watch him, he's a fantastic ball carrier. He's a long stride. He can be a little bit clumsy at times when he gets into attacking positions. If he's been carrying the ball a little bit too long, it gets out of his stride a little bit. But as we know, the Maracana can be a really unforgiving place. And Matias Franca didn't thrive there in the end. He almost got subbed after 50, 60 minutes in games and went hiding because Flamengo were in such a poor position. And Victor Hugo hasn't really been given those opportunities. But in the middle of the park and the way in which he likes to carry the ball and then like delicately, it's the weight of his passes in releasing in forwards. Like we just said with Barco and Jal Pedro in terms of that relationship, Hugo uh, could definitely offer something the same if he was to progress to Europe. Now Wolves brought in Jal Gomez and got their number six. And potentially they looked at Forrest with Danilo, who became a six to an eight in a way last season, scoring three goals, I think it was. And Wolves maybe got a little bit jealous because they actually went in for Victor Hugo and Flamengo turned it down. Um, but there hasn't been anything since. But And this is going to sound like a really bold statement. However, Dorival Jr. has just become the Brazilian manager. So Victor Hugo has something massive to aim for there. And I'm not saying he's going to be in the team within a year or two, but he must be looking at players like Rafael Vega, who are domestic players from Palmeiras. And don't, he's a wonderful footballer, don't get me wrong, a real Rolls Royce of a midfielder. But Victor Hugo is probably looking, look, if Wolves want me, if I move across to Europe and really make a statement, the manager who's currently in charge there adored me when I was there winning the Libertadores at the age of 18. So I feel like there's a real opportunity there and he's sort of sneaking under the radar. Uh, Tite of Flamengo didn't play him at all when he came in towards the back end of the season. So he must be looking at that, seeing how the pre-season goes and the Cups in the lead-up to Brazilian top flight kicking off again. And if he doesn't get an opportunity there a summer move for him across to Europe um, we could really see him grow and yeah definitely one to watch and a player who just needs to be under the right management and he can probably really flourish so yeah one to keep an eye on yeah and Wolves apparently could already be losing Joao Gomez who's been in, in, amazing since he joined and could already be on the move to like top six club right so yeah, Spurs, Spurs got linked with him um, yesterday I believe so he's obviously got yeah. Doesn't take long anymore, does it? Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, 
actually sorry to go off topic but you mentioned um vasco da gama um i, I recently saw that um dimitri payet was looking to be in outstanding shape since joining um vasco da gama and it's actually quite funny because usually um when, when players are are going towards the end of their career and, and move to south american leagues or 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 other like non-european leagues i guess they, they tend to put on some weight or kind of get out of shape and Pyatt's kind of done that opposite trajectory um people often mocked him in france for being a bit overweight and bit heavy on the ball and now he's in the best shape of his life back in brazil yeah. so it's quite interesting but how refreshing is it to see Payet not choose to go to like saudi or qatar and you wanting to go and play in brazil and, and and vasco obviously only got promoted last season and just about stayed up but there is a project going on there and they have put their um hands in their pockets and they're signing a couple of other players and there's a couple of really exciting youth players who are sort of stepping up into that first team and i think they could be one to watch next year and maybe Paya is buying into that and uh he did score a free kick or two it's a, a sort of ultimately keep Vasco up last season so uh, yeah great to see someone not just taking the money and, and buying into something before before they retire yeah there's also um um I forgot the club that um Gustavo Scarpa returned to or signed for uh, Atletico Mineiro yeah Mineiro with also Hulk and a good manager I, I believe yeah Felipe uh, Scolari in charge Paulinho, oh, yeah, Solari, who yeah, right. returned to Brazil last season and scored 20 league goals. None of them were penalties. Hulk, who scored about 12 behind him and assisted pretty much all of Paulinho's goals. And now you bring in Gustavo Scarpa and they've got Christian Pavon. They're already, I'm looking at them for a Libertadores success in 2024. Yeah. It's, a, it's an early shout, but Scolari, Hulk, Paulinho and Scarpa, like what so a strike force that is under that management. Leverkusen, right? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And he 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 actually spoke quite openly around the kind of differences of of European and, and South American football and why he thought um, he was more suited to South American football. Is that right? Yeah. He actually his interview was really interesting. He he hated his time. Uh, he went over across as eighteen uh, for around about eighteen million euros at the time. So three or four years ago, big money. Um, but. Leverkusen, uh, as we see a lot, I mean, I'm not an expert in German football, but like quite rigid in terms of like, they were saying to him, you are a left winger, this is your zone and this is how you're going to progress. And just spent 20 minutes on a, out on the left, hating football, not enjoying it. And then he's come back to Brazilian football with a point to prove, won the golden boot, like I said, 20 goals was sensational, but played him through the middle and allowed him to be more expressive and have a positionless forward role. And he's one who could be definitely on the back on the move to Europe he's very uh, sort of unfortunate that there's so many talented young Brazilians in Hendrik, Vitor Roque, Marcos, Leonardo like all of those players in front of him a move to Europe may have to sort of occur for him to sort of top one of those but he's going to have his hesitations as to what happened to him but he got back into the Brazilian squad based off his efforts last season so if he can do that then why would he leave? While you mentioned those yeah. nines um I, I I wanted to touch on that because obviously we a lot of us grew up on R nine Romario. I mean, I was I was a bit young for Romario, but I certainly remember bits of R nine and, and Adriano, um, and those kind of Brazilian nines who are just unbelievable to watch, but also just so efficient in in Europe. Um, 
and there seems there seemed to be a bit of a a lack of those those profiles coming through in Brazil, but suddenly there's this surge, resurgence of mm-hmm. Brazilian strikers, which is just incredible. And 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 we've seen two of them join the the two biggest clubs in the world, and and Marcos Leonardo moving over to Benfica. But there's also a couple others. I think um, Kawa Elias at, at Fluminense. I don't know if that's the right pronunciation. And um, the other guy who I forgot the name of, who was at Botafogo, um, I believe. Um, long hair, kind of. Let me find his name. Yeah, uh, yeah, I know who you're talking about. He was linked to, no, to Nascimento. Yes, that's it. That's it. Nascimento. Yeah, so, yeah. What, what's your thoughts? That's, that's strange because Nascimento didn't get played at all last year for Botafogo. Like he was previously linked with Real Madrid and um, John Texter, who obviously owns uh, Leon and has something yeah. to do with Crystal Palace as well. There's been yeah, obvious yeah. links there. But he didn't play last year at all. And he was going and playing in some Brazilian squads, like in the 20s or whatever, that like went and played in the World Cup. I think he even scored there. And then returned to Botafogo, never played. And like they were crying out for someone um, to help help out in the scoring department. They were relying on Diego Costa and his legs were completely gone. And I, I don't know, there must be something behind the scenes as to why he didn't. Because there's clearly talent there, but like like you said, there's there's so many up and coming Brazilians, and I'm so excited to see them. All. I think Endrick is sort of like the next best player after Ronaldo. I know that's such a big claim, but he won Palmeiras the title. Like for his age, he, he's just phenomenal. Like what an exciting player! And if no one's seen him, the best way to sort of go go and like the best YouTube clip to go and see is. His second goal against Botafogo. Botafogo with 3-0 up. Palmeiras came back on 4-3. And he's intentionally controlled it with his shin yeah. to move the ball onto his left foot and power it home. And it was unbelievable. And I just I can't wait to see him at Real Madrid. Like I think uh, fair play, Vitor Loque going to Barcelona. I think he's an outstanding player. I think it would take time for him to settle there. But I think Endrick will just walk into Real Madrid uh, and just continue, to be honest with you. And yeah, I think that's the missing piece for Brazil. And they'll definitely pick up a, a World Cup or two, I'm, I guarantee, it, over the, the next couple of competitions. Yeah, it's kind of difficult to judge these talents from a European point of view because obviously most people who are judging, judging them are just judging off rumors and um, what 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 someone else has said and not what they've actually seen for for themselves. And so, um, yeah, often I guess players get overrated or underrated or just aren't appreciated to the level which they're at at that moment. Um, I'm definitely guilty as that of that as well as whenever I see like a South American player come over unless I've like specifically heard about him and started watching him I pretty much don't know anything so kind of difficult to judge but yeah so it is interesting to to hear that from you who obviously watch a lot of uh, watches a lot of Brazilian football saying that about Hendrik kind of uh, reassures me reassures me in that sense of how good he actually is um but yeah, I think unfortunately that's um, all the time that we have for today. But I, I just want to say thank you very much, Nathan, for coming on. Uh, it's been a pleasure and a very interesting conversation as well. Um, yeah, look, thanks for having me on. Um, I could probably sit here and talk for another couple of hours about certain players. There's so many to get through. And uh, well, I'm sure I'll, I'll jump back on at some point and revisit a few of these. Um, but yeah, it, I think it's a good note to end on Endrick saying that he's going to be probably one of the best players in the world over the next few years.
yeah i i would definitely love to have you on uh, again one day maybe maybe a little prediction um when will endrick get his ballon d'or <laughs> what a horrible question you can edit this one out uh that's a difficult one because he's going to be competing with Echeverry, isn't he who's off to man city um but for, for different style of players and let's just enjoy them both but um if he doesn't win one or two in the next uh, this is horrible isn't it but let's say he wins one in the next five years because if i'm going to say he's going to be the best player in the world and uh i think he'll settle into Real Madrid just fine so uh yeah Clip it up in five years' time and, and, see, and see if it's going to be a blooper or not. Okay, I hope everyone listening has clipped that um, audio <laughs> piece right away. And um, definitely quote Nathan on that in the next five years. Um, but yeah, <laughs> as a reminder, you can follow me, Alfred, at uh, driver underscore ice on X. You can also follow uh, Kish at Rondo underscore reports on X as well. Uh, as well sorry, Nathan, where can the people find you? It's at Nathan Joy's J O Y E S one, uh, but more importantly, follow the Copper Club um, that we're trying to expand on there. We've got five or six dedicated writers throughout the January transfer window and beyond. So yeah, give them your support as well, please. A new yeah, new addition coming soon. I can, I can just add because I've featured on there a couple of times, and I'm 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 loving the the content that's coming from there. So yeah, make sure you follow that, guys. Yeah, I was just asking Nathan, is is a new edition coming soon or still focusing on the on the recent one? No, we're moving on to the new one. You can still purchase the issue three. We've got a few left. Um, but yeah, issue four is gonna be a Libertadores team guide. Um so yeah, I that was my first one, so I'm slightly biased. I'm very interested in in putting this across. And yeah, as you've already probably alluded to, I'm Atletico Minero a backer, so there'll be a nice section around them for sure so check that out for sure uh please also keep a lookout on our get football media outlets where we cover european football and world football with news videos opinions from some of the most plugged in analysts across the football landscape you can see a link in our show notes to all of our outlets please rate the podcast and give us a five-star review and feel free to leave a comment on our socials too thank you very much sorry thank you very much for listening and we look forward to the next one bye-bye